Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Living with Amuna. Welcome to our last Living with Amuna shear for the year. The bad news is it's the last shear for the year. The good news is we'll resume the shear next year, which also is next week. So that's the good news. Next week we are on. Why not? Our Amuna series is incredibly generously sponsored by Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit and in memory of Bella's mother, Ellen Shanzer. Very grateful to our friends, the Morgans, for their generosity. Today's shir is sponsored in honor of Rosh Hashanah in memory of Dr. Jacob Hiller, who exemplified a model how to live with Simcha Sachayim, by Anina Gordon Haas in memory of her dear sister, Sharon Leichtman Katz, whose yurt site is the 28th of Elul. It's also sponsored by the Orland family, uh, Avi and Dora Orland, in memory of their daughter, Miriam Esther Basavram Yitzchak, whom we tragically lost, a very special neshama, special young lady. Our learning should be to elevate her soul, the neshama of Miriam Orland, Miriam Esther Basavram Yitzchak. And uh, also I want to add, um, our dear friend Merv Jacobs had a uh, heart attack last night. Unfortunately, he's in the hospital and uh, very, very dire. We daven for his well-being and uh, for a refuah shleiman, for a miracle. Please have Merv... Please have Merv in your, uh, in your thoughts and in your tefillahs as we go forward. Okay, I'm going to begin as we always do with a Amuna email. Uh, interestingly, this is not an Amuna email that was directed to me, but this was a post. I don't know if there are any tennis fans here, anybody followed tennis. So anyone know who won the Women's U.S. Open? Coco. Goff. I asked because I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, so thank you. Go, go, go. Now, she did not write me an email directly. I'm a little disappointed. A little disappointed. Um, someone has to introduce her to the Amunashir. She did not email me directly, but somebody sent the following to me and thought it'd be perfect for the Amunashir, and I agree. It couldn't be more perfect for our theme, what we talk about, what we learn. And I guess this was a press conference after winning. She said the following, quote, Oh my goodness, it means so much to me. I feel a little bit in shock at this moment. That French Open loss was a heartbreak for me. I realize God puts you through tribulations and trials. This makes this moment even more sweeter than I could imagine. I don't pray for results. I just ask I get the strength to give it my all. Whatever happens, happens. I'm so blessed in this life. I'm just thankful for this moment. I don't have any words for it, to be honest. The youngest American to win a U.S. Open since Serena Williams. She joins blah, blah, blah. But anyway, that was her answer to press conference. She lost the French Open. Was she miserable about it? And she says, looking back, it was a heartbreak, but God puts us through these trials because it makes the sweeter moments even sweeter than we could imagine. And she said that she doesn't pray for results. She asks him to give strength, to give it all her will. And then whatever happens is up to him. Whatever happens is up to him. I thought that was a great, someone shared this with me. It was a great Amuna message, really aligned with everything that we talk about in this shear. Both parts of what she said. You know, it was interesting because right after she won, apparently she put her head down and certain sports networks that try to be agnostic, atheistic, whatever, said, oh, she's taking a moment. <laughs> and one of the commentators on the sports network say, no, she's praying. And we don't have to apologize to say it. She's a very uh, woman of a lot of faith and she's praying with gratitude. And we shouldn't live in a world where you have to be apologetic or defensive or pretend... Uh, that someone's not praying when they are. And clearly she has a lot of faith because she saw her loss, her challenge, her disappointment in the context of being part of God's master plan that makes the sweet moments even sweeter. And that she says that she, when she prays for her tennis matches, she doesn't play, pray for the results. That's up to God. She prays to 
play her best and to have the strength to play her best and the rest is up to him whatever happens and that's a great metaphor for life that we daven Hashem give us the strength give us the koach to use our talents our skills our blessings to do the best that we can with them and the results are up to you to not necessarily daven for the results because the results are up to him and one of the reasons not to daven for the results is because if we ask specifically for results those results that we want and crave and ask for may not necessarily be the best results for us they can't necessarily, so we daven for that girl, for that boy, we daven for that job, we daven for that house, we daven for that outcome, and if we mutter Hashem enough, maybe He's going to say yes, but the yes wasn't really what was right for us, wasn't really what was best for us, and, and the best thing He could do in the world is save us from ourselves. We say this in Ashrei, we say, what do we say in Ashrei? Who's got a sitter? There's a sitter here somewhere. We say, the, um, I want to get the whole Pasuk right. Oh, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry. Svardi, Ashkenazi. I think the Ashrei is the same. We say in Ashrei. Thank you for bearing with me. Oh, I got oh, Ashrei. Two Svardi Ashreis. Svardi, I'm really coming at you. Ritzon Yireav Yaseh, V'yes Shavasam Yishma V'yoshiem. Ritzon Yireyav Yaseh, the Ratzon, the will of those who have all those who fear him, Yaseh Hashem will do. Right, Ashrei is the acronym, we go all the way, we omit the Nun for Nefila, we don't recognize fall, but we do include the Nun, Somech Hashem Lechol Anoflim, Hashem uplifts all those who have fallen. So Aleph through Tav, Ashrei follows the whole Hebrew alphabet in an acrostic, because uh, from Aleph through Tav, Hashem is looking out for us, loves us, lifts us, responds to us. So Ritzon Yireyav Yaseh, the ruts on the will of those who have all those who fear him, he does. And the cries, he hears and he saves us. If he hears our cries, why does he have to save us? If if he follows our will, why does he have to hear our cries and save us? He follows our will. He already follows our will. He already heard it. He did the ruts on the will of what we wanted. So why does he have to hear our cries and Yoshim and save us? So commentators point out, because he's willing to listen to what we want, he sometimes has to save us from ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so what we ask Hashem and Ashrei every day is, Hashem, here's the world the way I see it. I'd love if this girl would agree to marry me, agree to go out with me. I'd love if this would happen on this timetable, in this way, in this place, with this way. I'd love this job, I'd love this house, I'd love this outcome, I'd love to win the lottery, I'd love this happen, I'd love... Here's the way I see the world. But you know what? From your perspective, from your perch, from your porch, where you get to see and you know everything, Yoshiem, save me from myself. If I'm asking for something which is not in my best interest, if I'm selling myself short, if I'm sabotaging my success, Yoshiem, save me from myself. That's what we daven every day. We say, Hashem, I'm going to fill my morning with asking you for things. And if they're consistent with what you agree is the best thing for me, great. But if it's a conflict between what I think is the best thing for me and what you think is the best thing for me, let's go with what you think is the best thing for me. So save me from myself. And if you close a door, I know another will open. And if something happens, I believe it is for, I believe it is for a reason. Which brings us to our learning for this morning. Page Tov Memchas, we're in Tifa Emuna. We're still learning Rav Gamliel. I learned, my first cousin told me, we have copies here. So please take, follow, enjoy. My cousin told me that my great-grandfather, my great-grandfather who learned in the yeshiva in Kishinev, the Rosh Hashiva of the yeshiva my great-grandfather learned in is Rav Gamliel's grandfather. Wow. So it turns out we've been learning together for a long time already. 
Who knew? Who knew? I didn't tell him that. Yeah, next time. Next time I go. So we're in Tivah Emuna, page Tov Mem Ches, where he's talking about Rosh Hashanah. But Rosh Hashanah, Keshetovimus HaTapuach Bidvash, for those who did not get the memo, Rosh Hashanah is very soon, 48 hours away. Very soon. So come Rosh Hashanah this Friday night, we are going to, every child on the planet knows and sings, we are going to dip the apple in the honey. And what will we say? Hashem, please renew us for a good year and a sweet year. Have a happy new year, a happy sweet new year, a sweet new year, a sweet happy new year. I wish every Jewish organization on the planet, if I'm on your email list, I know you wish me a good year. Don't feel obligated to clog the inbox with emails from every organization. You know, everyone getting those now flooded with those emails? Yes, that's a... Message to me, unsubscribe. So, no, I'm just joking. They're wonderful. You all do wonderful work. So everyone's wishing each other a happy new year, a sweet new year, a happy and sweet new year. And wonders Rav Gamliel. He's not the first. And where does this come from? In the Shulchan Aruch. Orachayim Simen Tov, Kuf, Pei, Gimel, Sif, Aleph. This isn't some preschool creative idea someone came up with. We'll make paper mache apples and honey and dip and we'll introduce a whole new song, dip the apple in the honey. Well, that wasn't, didn't come from kindergarten. It's from the Shulchan Aruch. Rav Yosef Karas from the Shulchan Aruch. And even though we are a people who generally are against silly superstitions, Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, He took us out of Egypt so that we would not subscribe to silly superstitions, but we would exclusively follow and submit and surrender and love Him. Not silly superstitions. We don't believe that red strings and we don't believe that all kinds of other silly nonsense narishkeit is what determines our future. We have, we have skulas. Our skula is mitzvahs. Torah tells us we're an am segula, a nation of skula. What is a skula? Hashem says, I have 613 skulas. We say, no, 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 no. I don't have time for your skulas because I'm too busy tying a red string around my wrist. But Hashem says, but I have 613 things which can protect you and heal you and help you and give your life meaning and purpose and direction and gives me happiness and pleasure. We said, no, 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 I don't, those aren't so important. It's, I, there was somebody at, on my way to the Kotel that promised me if I tie this red string, then my children will be safe, everything will be good. And the Tosefta, the Tosefta, which is Tanaitic literature, says if you tie a red string and you think that that's going to ward off some evil, that's Darche Ha'amori, you're an idolater. That's a form of idolatry. We don't believe in silly superstitions and narishkeit and skulas. We have 613 skulas that are called Torah and mitzvahs. Ah, so how do you reconcile? What do we dip in apple and honey? That's what's going to give you a sweet new year. You could be cruel, unkind, dishonest, abusive, neglectful, disobedient of Hashem's Torah, but you dip the apple in the honey. So that's it. Good new year, sweet new year. It's that easy, right? Wrong. Wrong. So how do you reconcile the being opposed to school as we're doing these things? So it goes back to the Gemara. The Gemara says, Simona Milsa. The Gemara says that on Rosh Hashanah night, it is an exception to the rule, we believe that there is a power in these symbols, Simona Milsa. So we eat all the different uh, foods that their name correlates with a theme, with an idea, and we hope that it will motivate and inspire us in our ambition, in our goals, in our dreams, in our behavior, and so on. So one of the things we do is dip the apple in the honey. Says from Gamliel, if you think about it for a moment, you ask yourself, Mesuka, sweet? Why can't we wish one another have a happy year? 
I'm sorry, have a, have a good year. Have a good year. Why do we have to say, have a good and sweet year? If you said good, isn't it inclusive of everything, including sweet? So just say, Lashana Tova. Why do you have to say Shana Tova? Umetuka, umesuka. Just say Shana Tova, and that includes. Why do we add on, why do we add on Misuka? So I want to tell you, when I, um, I don't think I mentioned this last week, when I, when I had breakfast with Leo D, with Rabbi Leo D, my dear friend, I know he listens still, he should be giving every Amuna Shira, I don't know why he listens, but he still texts me, and uh, I'm honored and uh, flattered. Most of them are telling me it's time to get to Israel, but also referencing uh, things in the Amuna Shira. So um, I don't have his permission, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. So we had breakfast, and we did a little video afterwards, and that was posted in our Elul behind the Bima. But we had many conversations. So he was telling me the following. I don't, stop me if I, if I told you this, but he was telling me the following. You know, the Gemara says there are three things that happen Keherifayin. I know. When I gave him a hug and I wished him a good year, and we said Mashiach should come, and we should be reunited with the people we love that we've lost, and Mashiach should come. So he said to me the following. He said, the Gemara tells us there are three things that happen Keherifayin. Three things that happen like the blink of an eye, like the snap of your finger. They happen sort of immediately, abruptly, out of nowhere. One of them is you find a lost object, you find something lost. That happens immediately, it happens out of nowhere. And the second is that you can uh, suffer a tragedy, a loss. And the third thing is Mashiach comes. So he says, you know, the first two I know, I've experienced in my life. And he told me the story about when he met Lucy's wife, and immediately he knew he was going to marry her. The Gemara Chazal tells us the Gemara in Kedushin, we've re- learned it recently in the Daf Yomi, that when a person gets married, it's like they've lo- they found a lost object. Really, min Shamayim basher, we do believe this. Really, we were one soul that was separated in two, and we came down to this earth and we look for our other half. And when we find them a successful marriage, then it's two halves becoming a whole. It's not one plus one equals two, it's two halves becoming a whole. So the Gemara says that, and for, for many, they lose a lost object and it takes them a long time to find it. For others, they lose a lost object. It was right under their nose. They find it immediately on the spot. I was once standing at a carousel. I, I was a madrich on a, on a summer program with somebody who was a little older, hadn't been married yet, was trying to get married, and we were waiting for our suitcases. And he said, you know, shidduchim dating marriage is a lot like the carousel at the airport. You watch each bag come off and you think, maybe that's mine. Maybe the next one is mine. And he said, sometimes one comes off and it comes and you go, that's mine, that's mine. And then you take it off and you say, it looks just like it should be mine, but it's not mine. Uh-huh. It looks just like mine, but it's not mine and you have to put it back. Uh-huh. But hopefully you wait long enough and eventually yours comes. And if they lost it, they deliver it. Eventually it gets delivered. But if you wait and you're patient, eventually yours comes. That was the metaphor that he told me. But the Gemara says, it's like a, uh, it's like a lost object because this is not the first introduction, the first time you're meeting. I said under, I think my first order is chuppah. Why don't we make a shechianu under the chuppah? Many ask and many answers are given. If getting married is a mitzvah or is at least a prerequisite to the mitzvah of having children, make a shechianu, ooh, under the chuppah. You get a, you get a new car, a new house, you make a shechianu. You eat a new fruit, you make a shechianu. A new suit, a new shetel, you make a shechianu. And you stand under a chuppah and you enter a new stage of marriage, you don't, a new stage of life, you don't make a shechianu. So many answers are given, but one of the answers is because there's nothing new here. Already from 40 days after you were conceived, 
the heavenly voice already said, so-and-so is going to marry so-and-so. You were two halves that were split, that were simply restored. You don't make a shechianu when you find something that you previously owned and you lost and you got back. So you don't make a shechianu because this isn't the first moment of this union. This union has long since pre-existed. This union has been meant and predetermined from above. The idea of basher, there's a lot more to say about it, not for now. It's a little bit of an oversimplification, but the idea of basher. So it's the idea of, a lo- of losing a lost object and getting your back. So Rabbi D said to me, he says, I know what it means to find a lost object, keherafayim, because I saw Lucy, and I knew I was going to marry her the moment I met her. He says, I also know what it means to suffer loss, keherafayim, because it was cholamoid Pesach, and we were on a tiul, and we were in two separate cars. Everyone was healthy, everyone was happy, everything was wonderful, everything was amazing, and like that, his life changed. Like that is life changed. An evil, wicked terrorist, an evil, wicked Palestinian terrorist shot and killed his wife and two of his daughters. Keherifying. So he said, so I know what it will mean that Mashiach can come keherifying. Everyone else, what is that? Mashiach is going to come. The whole world order is going to change. Redemption will occur. It's going to feel like the blink of an eye. What does that mean? If it's not in your experience, you don't know what it means. But he says, I know what it means because it's in my experience. Because... I, I found my lost object, and then I lost my lost object, both Kerifayim. Why am I telling you this story? Because he was telling me, Kerifayim, something good, I found my lost object. And then he said, Kerifayim, I suffered, and he was about to say the tragedy, the loss, the sad, the pain of losing Lucy. But he stopped himself. This was just me and him. There was no camera on, there was no audience, there was no microphone, there was no one watching. There was no journalist interviewing. This was just me and him. And he stopped himself and he said, I know what it means to find the lost object, Karafayan, and I know what it means to have experienced, <coughs> and instead of saying a tragedy, he said, a yet unrevealed good, Karafayan. He described the murder of his wife as a yet unrevealed good. That's his approach, that's his perspective, that's his attitude. It's not everybody's, and there's certainly no judgment of people who experience the worst, the most horrific, the most painful, the most unimaginable in different ways. Everyone experiences it their own way without comparison and without judgment. But that's how he experiences it by saying to himself, this is unbearably painful, but all that God does is for good. So this is a yet unrevealed good. I don't know. When I get upstairs, I'll have a lot of questions, he says, and demand an answer of how this can go from an unrevealed to a revealed good. What could be good in it? What is good about it? But he described it, and I just, I tried to maintain my composure because he said it in passing in a conversation over breakfast, and it's extraordinary that he was able to, but he describes it as a yet unrevealed good. Says Rav Gamliel, By definition, Every year is a good year, because all that God does is for good. Everything Hashem does is for good. Everything God does is for good. Everything God does is for good. Even that which appears, which we experience, which is painful, is good, is good. I've shared with you many times, I heard from someone who lost his wife tragically young, read a book about it, a rub from England. He said, painful things happen to good people, bad things don't happen to good people. Bad and good, God is the only and ultimate judge. Painful and pleasurable, that's our experience in this world. And that's what Rabbi D was expressing. 
It's a yet unrevealed good that's experienced right now as unbearable pain. Unbearable pain. And that's complicated. And none of us should minimize how complicated it is for the people in the unbearable pain and how hard it is to even say the words that somehow it is a yet unrevealed good. But that's what we strive for. That's our aim. That's our goal. That's where we want to get is philosophically our understanding of theodicy, our living with Amunas to get to a place where we can say even that which we experience as unbearable pain that we wish we never had, that we daven, that we bear some resentment, that we demand explanations, that we protest and object to God for, that we scream and yell at Him about, even that which we experience as unbearable pain is a yet unrevealed good because and because bad things don't happen to good people, painful things do. So now he explains, that's, what, that's why we wish one another. You know why you have to add the word mesuka sweet? Because every year by definition is tova. If it's the year that God gave us, and that's the year that was meant to be, and that's the year that was right for us. But we hope and we wish and we ask and we beg and we plead that that which is good is also sweet. Shana Tova, it's going to be a good year because all that God does is good. But we hope and we wish and we ask that that which is good is also sweet. Hashem, show us your loving kindness. Really, Hashem, I believe that all that you do is good and kind. But Hashem, I'm asking you, please, that that which you are doing that is good also let me see and let me know how it is good. Don't just do good, but do good in such a way that I can see and that I can know that it is good. Do it in both. Do it in both. That's our hope. That's our wish for this year. Going into next year, going into Rosh Hashanah, we are confident and we proclaim that God, all that you do is good. Some of it's revealed good and some of it is yet unrevealed good, but hareini Hashem chazdecha. Reveal to us the good. Do a good that is a revealed good. Do a good that is not only good because you are the objective authority on what's good or bad, but do a good that's also sweet. That's why we eat sweet things on Rosh Hashanah. And we say, May it be your will, Hashem, that the year ahead not only be good, which by definition it will be, but let the good also be sweet. Just like we will taste the sweetness of the apple and the honey, let us see and feel and taste the sweetness and all the good that will be in the year ahead. Let us taste it. So I want to tell you a parable I saw. A Chinese farmer gets a horse. You didn't see that coming. A Chinese farmer... Chinese farmer gets a horse which soon runs away. And the neighbor says, ooh, that's bad news. And the farmer says, good news, bad news, who can say? Horse comes back and brings another horse with him. Good news, you might say. So the farmer gives the second horse to the son who rides it. And the son is thrown off the horse and badly breaks his leg. So the concerned neighbor says, so sorry for the bad news. Good news, bad news, who can say, the farmer replies. In a week or so, the emperor's men come and take every able-bodied man to fight in a war. And the farmer's son is spared. Good news. So, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. Good news or bad news, who can say? 
and it goes on and on and on. And of course, each we have this. It's the Gemara that tells us the story about the fire, Bikiva, the tent, the listim, the robbers. This ancient Chinese proverb is coming from a story from our, our Gemara. But that's the sort of attitude in life. Good news, bad news, who can say? Now, people suffer categorical, tragic, painful, unbearable loss. We can say. We can all say how painful. We can say. With empathy and sympathy and love and support, we can say. But again, from God's perspective, we can say it's painful. Good or bad is up to God. And that's why we say, Hareini Hashem Chazdecha Hashem. That which is good, don't let it only be revealed good in our life. Let it, let, don't only have unrevealed good in our life. Give revealed good. Let the Shana Tovah, let the year that's good, also be Mesuka. Let it also be a year that is, that is sweet. And that is our avoda over this holiday of Rosh Hashanah. This is what we're working on right now, these final days of Elul and Rosh Hashanah. Here's our mission, here's your homework. Are you ready? Our job on Rosh Hashanah is to be Mamlich HaKadosh Baruch We are coronating the Almighty as King. Everything. If you have to reduce Amunah to, to Rosh Hashanah to one word, it is. That's why I'm not a teacher. I just gave away the answer. It is Amunah. If you had to reduce Rosh Hashanah to one word, it's Amunah. That's what we're doing in Shul. There's me and you. We're in a relationship. Let's talk. I made some mistakes in our relationship. I've come up short. I've disappointed. I want to take ownership, extreme ownership. I want to take responsibility. I want to communicate. I want to make more time. I want to repair the damage I've done. I want to pledge to do things differently. I want to feel your love. I want to hear what you have to say of me. I want to hear about your needs. And I want to promise to be more attentive to them. That's what Rosh Hashanah is really all about. God is the Melech Malachem Lachem, is the King of Kings, and we are here to coronate Him. That's what we are doing. They tell a story. It appears many places. I have two Sfarim in front of me where I saw the story. It appears a little differently in different places. But the Balatanya, when he was by his Rebbe, the Magad of Mizrich, the Heliga Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe of Lubavitch, of Chabad, the Balatanya was by his Rebbe, the Magad of Mizrich, and the Magad finishes davening on the night of Rosh Hashanah, and the Balatanya was still davening. So they waited. They waited at the meal. They weren't going to start Kiddush until the Balatanya was done davening. They waited and they waited and they waited, and they waited and they waited and they waited, and where was he? So they went back to Shul, and they found him. There's different versions, again, of the story. Um, his davening went on forever and ever and ever because he was lost on one phrase, one expression that we have in our davening of Yamim Narayim. And they thought, you know, maybe, maybe he's, the whole Shmon Esra is taking him forever, the whole Marav is taking him forever, but there was one expression that was taking him forever. And what was it? It was, V'yeda pa'ul ki alto. They say they came in and he had the shtender he was davening at, and he was pounding it against, again, different versions. He was banging it on the floor and throwing it against the wall and screaming at the shtender. Let every creation know that you are the creator. And afterwards, when they say, what took you so long? And, you know, we were happy to wait. But where were you? He said, I couldn't finish davening until I banged into the shtender, till the shtender knew. Till the shtender, this created entity, knew that there was a creator. That that's the mission of Rosh Hashanah. That's the mandate of Rosh Hashanah. That that's what we're working on this time of year. In our own lives, in the lives of our family, talk about Hashem. We have faith in Hashem when we talk about Him. See Him everywhere, talk about Him, thank Him, ask Him, object Him and protest to Him, but be in a relationship with Him coronate Him, surrender to Him, submit to Him, recognize that He's everywhere and He's what it's all about. And that's what this world and that's what this life are all about. 
That's what it's all about, being mam lech Hashem. That shofar that we're going to hear only on one day this year, because the first day is Shabbos, we have to be the shofar on the first day, and we listen to the shofar on the second day. According to the Grod of Vilna Gon, the purpose of the shofar, there's a lot of different interpretations of the shofar, but the Vilna Gon's approach, I'm giving you a kavana, something to think while listening to the shofar, you're at the coronation ceremony of God. This is the inaugural ball of the Almighty. We've just coronated, we've elected him king once again. And at the king's ball, there are trumpets, and the shofar is the trumpet at the coronation of Hashem. So don't be mournful and cry and fearful and afraid. And those are images. Those are one set of images you can have. But the other, much more hopeful, positive, optimistic, joyous, celebratory is, wow, I'm listening to the trumpets. I, I got a ticket to the ball. I got a ticket to the inauguration. I was invited to the inaugural ball of the King of Kings. And I'm listening to the trumpets play and I'm wearing my finest and I'm here celebrating. But you know what that makes me realize? Ooh, one second. If he's been reelected, if he's the king of kings, what does a king do? He looks at his kingdom and he says, what's worthy? Who in my cabinet should remain? Who am I keeping? Who am I reappointing? Who am I replacing? Who has fulfilled their purpose and who has not? And right after the king's inaugural ball, we, the members of the kingdom, realize that the king is going to now take his new reelection and look at every member of the kingdom and say, from the blade of grass to the stender, to the chair, and certainly to the people in his kingdom, am I renewing their contract? Are they fulfilling their purpose in my kingdom? Or is it time to let them go? And that's why after Rosh Hashanah, the Salon Rebbe says, we spend the next eight days of Aserus Mechuvah advancing our argument for why we still belong in his cabinet. King me, keep me in your kingdom. Keep me on the team. So we coronate God on Rosh Hashanah. There's no mention of chet on Rosh Hashanah. We don't clap al chet. Ashamnu, there's no vidui. For Rosh Hashanah, people think is the day of judgment. The Torah never calls it a day of judgment. Yom Adin is not referenced in the Torah. It's Zichron Trua. Torah never calls it a day of judgment. And we don't invoke sin. We don't talk about it. We don't use the word chet. We don't even eat egos, nuts, because they have, that's the gematria of chet. It's my favorite kutzker of the year. You know, everyone knows. If you don't know, now you know. Don't make any recipes that have nuts in them for Rosh Hashanah. We don't eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah. It's a custom. It's not a law, it's a custom. We don't eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah. Why don't we eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah? Because the word egos, which is the Hebrew word for nut, is the same gematria, the same numerical value as the word chet. So the Katzker Rebbe says, you know what else is the same numerical value as chet? Chet. <laughs> so people, Katzker Rebbe says, people, while they're cooking their recipes for Rosh Hashanah that don't have nuts because they don't want chet, are busy gossiping and slandering and listening and watching to the wrong things and doing he says, you know what else is the same numerical value as chait? Chait. So don't just not have nuts, don't just not eat egos, also don't do chait. Chait's also the same gematria as chait. My favorite kutzker, my favorite kutzker of the year. My favorite kutzker of the year. So we don't even eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah. We don't invoke chait. We don't clap al chait. We don't say vidui. So how could it be? What kind of a yom hadin is this? It's pretty weak yom hadin. So the answer is, it's not really yom hadin. It's the coronation ceremony of the Almighty. We're coronating Hashem as King. We're at His inaugural bowl. We're blowing the trumpet to celebrate. And then that automatically, that automatically triggers us to say, whoa, if we just reelected, you know, imagine right now you've got primaries and elections and people are working on campaigns and they're trying to prove their worth and they're trying to help their candidate get elected. And let's say they win. It's election night. The ballots are all in and they win and they win and everyone agrees they won and they win. And and uh, they celebrate. And at least for that night, 
there's streamers and there's music and there's trumpets and they celebrate. And then they, they're sworn in their candidate and there's the inaugural ball and everyone's wearing their finest and the confetti falls from the ceiling. And then all of a sudden the staffers, they look to themselves and they say, what's, what's with tomorrow? Who's got a job tomorrow? Who on the staff that got the person reelected, what's with tomorrow? Did they get a job? Did they land a position in the new administration? Or are they on their own? What will determine the answer to that? Their worth, the difference they make. Do they fulfill their purpose? Do they have a mission? Do they contribute? That will determine whether they have a position on the staff. So that's the mentality, that's the attitude we have. We are right now working. All of Elul, Erev Rosh Hashanah, we are on the campaign team of God. We're, we're putting lawn signs, we're knocking, we're going door to door, we're telling everybody, you know who's the king? Except the king, he's the king. The girl of Vilna Gon also says, what's the difference between a Moshel and a Melech? What's the difference between a Moshel and a Melech? A Moshel is a ruler and a Melech is a king. What's the difference between the two? A Moshel imposes himself on people. They're a, they're a dictator. A Melech is elected king. Hashem can be a Moshel or he can be a Melech. He's in charge either way. He can be in charge as a dictator or he can be in charge because we've elected him. And the Gras says that's why we long for the day when he will go from being Moshe to being Melech al From the whole world who are, whether they know it or not, ruled over by him, dictating what happens. And we long for the day that everybody will see him, accept him, surrender to him, and he'll go from being a Moshe, a ruler, to being a Melech who's elected. So how will we go get to that day? What's our mission and our purpose? The Baba Rebbe was not only about loving and inspiring Jews, but teaching the seven Noahide laws to the whole world. Torah wasn't meant just for the Jews. The Torah is a blueprint for creation. Torah is not just for Jews. The Torah is how to repair and redeem a world that is increasingly feeling irredeemable and confused and complicated <coughs> and further from Hashem's vision and plan for it. And that's our mission. That's our job as Jews. Shout from the rooftops and everyone we interact with Tell them and demonstrate to them that there's a Melech. What do you, don't just be the subject of this Moshel. Accept and elect him the Melech. There's a king. He's the king of kings. He has a vision. He has values. He has uh, expectations of us. Don't just be a taker. Be a giver. Don't just ask about your rights and entitlements. What are your duties and obligations? You want a position in the cabinet? You want to have, be rehired as a staffer? Join the campaign. Help us elect him and coronate him king. That's what we're doing. That's what Elul's about. That's what we're doing. And then Rosh Hashanah, we're going to, that's it, our candidate won. He, he's the only candidate, and he always wins. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, he's the only candidate, and he always wins. But we're going to be at the inaugural ball. We're going to be at the, at the celebration. There's going to be trumpets blasting, and it's going to be amazing. But you know what happens on Motzei Rosh Hashanah, Tzom Gedalia, and for the next eight days to Yom Kippur? When does he decide who's in the cabinet? When does he hand out the job offers? Ne'ilah. Right after Ne'ilah, God's giving out the job offers. Some say you can still apply for the job till Hoshana Rabbah. Some say you can still sneak in and get a job till Zos Hanukkah, the last day of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. But really, when does he give out the jobs? When do the gates close on the job offers? Ne'ilah. So from Motzei Rosh Hashanah till Ne'ilah, we are there making our case. This is what I can offer. This is how hard I'm going to work. This is why I'm here. This is the position I have to offer. That's why, by the way, in our davening, Rav, Rav Gamliel also says this somewhere else in here. He says, that's why, what's the sentence that we're adding in our davening? 
tempted to sing it for you, but while that would be a kapara for you, I'm not going to do it. Zachreinu l'chayim, melech hafeitz b'chayim, because v'enu b'sefer ha'chayim, l'manacha elokim chayim. What kind of argument is that? Zachreinu l'chayim, Hashem, the world is unpredictable and we don't know what's going to be. And we had to interrupt, come to the Amunashir, listening to a levaya of somebody in Israel, a beloved member of our community. Nebuchadnezzar came home, her father was at her house, working on her house, and she found him that he was no longer among the living. An extraordinarily exceptional person, Ellie Weberman, from Miami Beach, grew up in Miami Beach, Rabbi Weberman's son, 67 years old. He wasn't in the best of health, and uh, she, she came home to find her father. A tragedy, and he's being buried in Israel as we speak. I was just watching the Levi. Extraordinary. It's just a reminder of just how short life is and how when everyone in that family woke up that morning, nobody thought that's how their day would end. And I'll reiterate with someone who I admire so much and love taught me, any day that you end with the same headcount in your home as the way the day began is a good day, period. Whatever else is going on, if your day ends with the same headcount in your house as the way the day began, it is a good day, period. If it's fixable, if everything else that's gone wrong is fixable, it's a good day. It's a good day if it's, if it's fixable. Beyond, beyond tragic. And it makes you believe this was the end of Elul that happened to him. Was this already decided on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and this year? And there's so many questions and so many challenges to it. And a person who was kulo chesed, all he did was live for helping and loving kindness to others. Life is so short. So we say, Hashem, zachreinu l'chaim. Zachreinu l'chaim. If we knew, if he knew, if his family knew last Rosh Hashanah, how much kavana they needed to have for zachreinu l'chaim to make it through the next Rosh Hashanah. Zachreinu l'chaim. Zachreinu l'chaim. Remember us to live. And we end. We make this all right. Zachreinu l'chaim. God, don't, you know, you love life. Don't you love life? You want life. Don't you love a big staff? Don't you want a big cabinet? Don't you want a lot of people? You like big staff. You like a lot of people. You like a lot of people working for you. So give me a job. Keep me around. Give me a job. Because you like having a big staff and a lot of people working for you. And then we end at Lamad. And by the way, in the end, and don't do it for me. Lamancha Elohim Chaim. Lamancha for you. Give me life, lamancha elokim chayim. Do it for you in the end. We say it in avinu makenu. I say lamancha im lo lamanenu. We say it in our slichos that we've been saying. I say lamancha in the assays. Over and over in our davening, we make all the argument for us, and as like the last, I was going to call it a hail something, but that wouldn't be appropriate. In the last ditch effort, the last ditch effort, we say we give every argument under the sun. Keep us around, renew our contract, add us to your cabinet, keep us on your staff. And here's, here's the final argument. Don't do it for us. Do it for you. But how is that argument, what are we saying? What kind of an argument is that? How does it help God? He's infinite, he's omnipotent, he's all perfect. How is it Lamancha? How is it for him? How is it for him? And the answer is what we're saying to God is, you need me. You need me. Because ain melech below am, there is no king without a people. And this world doesn't all know you and accept you and coronate you as king. And you need me to help continue to go door to door and post on social media and scream from the rooftops and put on the lawn signs. And, and, and you need me. You need me to get your message out. You need me to get people to elect you. You need me to get people on your side. Lama'ancha. I'm here and ready to work for you. But that only helps if what? You're here and ready to work for him. So the whole argument is, 
keep me around and keep my family around. Give us the resources we need. Give us the good health that we need. Give us the strength that we need. Why? For us, for our pleasure, so that we can have more things, go on more vacations. Those are nice, and there's nothing wrong with them in the right context. Enjoy them. But that's not why we're asking for life. We're not asking for life and health and parnasa so we can get more pleasures in this world. Why are we asking for it? Because I want to be in your cabinet. I want to be on your staff. So position me to be the most effective. So God, if you want me to be able to travel and go and penetrate and make a difference, I need an expense account. I can't do it if I have no expense account. You want me hospitality. You want me to have your children over for meals who have nowhere else to go. I, I need an expense account. How am I supposed to host people? How am I supposed to travel? How am I supposed to help? How are we supposed to run a pre-Rosh Hashanah market that ran out of food both days, four hours before the end of the time we posted because that's how many of your children needed relief and food. And there are extraordinary people in this room who volunteered for hours. Unbelievable. Pouring sweat, working hard, lifting boxes. They can testify to how many trucks came, how much food kept coming, how much was replenished and it wasn't nearly enough because Hashem, that's how many of your children needed relief and help as prices have skyrocketed just to be able to make yantif. So Hashem, how can I work for you if you don't give me the expense account, if you don't reimburse, if you don't provide the resources? So we're not asking so that we have things and go on vacations. Those are nice too because every worker also gets time off and you need a salary for yourself. But Hashem, I need also an expense account to take care of your children. I need an expense account to, launch, to run your campaign. We need ad buys, we need to buy, we need to promote you. I need an expense account. So I'm giving you the winning secret right now. I'm telling you the formula. And you gotta mean it, we've gotta mean it. It can't be fake, it can't be insincere, because here's the thing about our candidate. He sees right into our heart. Other politicians and other candidates, you could pull the wool over their eyes. Here's the thing about our candidate that we're <coughs> electing. He sees right into our heart. He's bochen leva klaios. He knows everything. Habochen levavos biyom din. Hashem sees right into our heart. He knows if we're sincere or not. You want to make it on the staff? You want to be in the cabinet? You want to be part of next year's team? Lamancha elokim chayim. The argument, the winning argument is Hashem. It's not for me that I'm asking. It's not for me that I'm wanting. I want good health. I need good health for me and my team, for me and my committee. We need health and we need resources if we're going to best serve you. You want our home to be a place of chesed and hospitality? You want our lives to be staka and giving? You want us to be able to take our talents and skills and to be able to change the world? We need the good health, the energy, the strength to be able to do it. That's my argument, Hashem. Do it for you. Do it for you. That's what we're asking. So what we're, what we're longing for, what we're saying, what we're saying over and over, from the standard of the chair, it should all know, God, that you're the king. You are the king. This is it. It's the coronation. Rosh Hashanah is not about tshuva in the classic sense of chet, of yom adin, of judgment. Rosh Hashanah, we're at the coronation, it's celebratory, it's happy, it's joyous. That's why the Torah says we're not wearing black and disheveled and unshaven. You know, you come before a physical judge and we are wearing our finest and we're happy and we're eating and we're drinking and we're, we're married. Why? Because we're at a coronation. We're at an inauguration. But Motzei Rosh Hashanah, some Gedalia, we say, ooh, I've got eight more days, seven more days. The jobs are given out after Ne'ilah. That's when it's decided who got a job, who has a place on the staff in the cabinet. 
I've got to advance my argument. I've got eight days to prove myself. I've got eight days to prove that I belong. How will I prove it? The more I live my life of service to you, the more I take care of your other children, the more I prove that with the resources and the health I can do great things, the more they'll be renewed. The more I don't really care about you, it's all about me, the more I have no interest in being of service to you, you serve me, the more that life is about me, then God says, out, we wouldn't all fire such a person. The staffer who sleeps in, comes late, leaves early, doesn't care, has an ego, can't follow consensus, isn't about the team or the mission, we wouldn't fire such a staffer? That's the argument that we make. So I end by wishing everybody a Shana Tova Umasuka. It'll be a good year. Will it be revealed good or yet unrevealed good in the words of Rabbi Leo D? Will it be a year ahead that's only revealed good? That's what we daven. You know what revealed good is? The Mazel Tov section in our weekly. You know what yet unrevealed good is? The condolence se section of the weekly. We want a year of only revealed good, of only revealed good. You know, the Shemona Esrei is made up of so many parts. We have the praise of Hashem, we have the Bakasha, and we have the end, the Hoda'ah, the gratitude. So we want a year of, of Modim Shemona Esrei's. You know, sometimes you feel like this is a Rifa'enu day. There's somebody in our life who's undergoing tests, who's sick, who needs a Rifu'ah. This is a Rifa'enu day. They're Barich Aleinu days. Running a food market, so many people who don't need, who need, who don't have. It's a Barich Aleinu day. We're dominating for livelihood. There are days where the world feels so unfair and so unjust and we're being treated so poorly and it's a Hashiva Shoftenu Kevarishona day. Hashem restore justice and truth. There are different brachas, I don't know, for me, like days can be characterized by different brachas in Shemona Esrei. So, and then there are days that are Kula Modim days. Wow, what a, I mean, everyone's healthy, everyone's well, all good things, good news. It's a Modim day, it's a Modim day. Rabbi Alan Schwartz is a rabbi in Manhattan, a huge Talmud Chacham. Rabbi Alan Schwartz, he has a saying. My friend Lisa always quotes him. She asks him, Rabbi, what's the score today? Because rabbis have scores, like, especially on a Sunday. How many weddings versus funerals versus unveilings, a bar mitzvah, a bris, unveiling a funeral, a shiva house. What's the score today? Four nothing, four to two, three to one, one against three. What's the score today? What's the score today? So all of us have lives that what's the score today? And all of us have lives that the bracha in the Shemona Esrei, is it a Rafa'inu day, a Baruch Aleinu day, a Shiva Shoftenu day, a Shema Koleinu day, is it a Modim day? So we say it should be a Shana Tova Umesuka. Every day should be exclusively a Modim day. Exclusively a Modim day. Even Rafa'inu Baruch Aleinu days are Shana Tova, they're also good days, because all that God does is good. But we daven and we bless one another, that not only should our days be good, they should be good and sweet. Good and sweet. They shouldn't only be unrevealed good, our day should be entirely filled with revealed good and revealed sweetness and only the best of everything. So we'll see you next year, Mitzvah Shem, which happens to be next week, next Wednesday. Tonight, Yechevet and I are going behind the beam with Rivka Ravitz, if you've never heard of Rivka Ravitz. She was the chief of staff of the 10th president of Israel, a mover and shaker in Israeli politics. Also happens to be the mother of 12 children and somehow balances it all. She's our guest tonight on Behind the Bima. Until next year, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.